Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. And on today's episode, please put that boulder back where it came from, or so help me, because we are talking about the 2013 anime sensation, the worldwide phenomenon, a relatively unknown series that you may have heard of in passing, Attack on Titan, Shingeki no Kyojin. Only one of the biggest anime of the last 10 years that finally wrapped up, I want to say last year. Is that correct, Ryan? Uh, it ended tail end of last year. After a number of production delays across the years and a lot of part one, part two, part three, final season, chapter prologue, HD remix, uh, the series is finally over. And all of us have histories with Attack on Titan in one way or another. So we thought we would start at the beginning and go through the whole series from the top and eventually through a number of different episodes get through the whole thing. So you've already heard one voice. I've got Ryan with me. Yay. And I also just got off of my training harness. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I can now balance I'm and I'm ready to go, uh, you know, sit here in zero gravity. Do some whooshing. Do some, some whooshing. Uh, glorious whooshing for the Survey Corps. Uh, and we've also got another podcast person on here, whatever we call ourselves. <laughs> who, who is here? Meat sacks. Um, That's the proper term for us. Thank yes. you. Yeah. Um, it's Tori. And after we record this, I'm going to go outside of these walls and touch grass because that's my birthright. Are you, though? No, I'm going straight to bed after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many of the many of the fine soldiers of the, the army or whatever would love a nap. So yes, on this episode, we're going to be talking about the first 13 episodes of Season 1 of Attack on Titan. But before we get into that, this is our first podcast of 2024. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. I did want to take a moment to sort of, for all of us to talk about, maybe not our anime resolutions for 2024, because, you know, resolutions are so played out, they're so easy to flake on, but what are your anime aspirations? What would you like to see yourself get to this year in the world of anime, or whatever that means to you? Tori, what do you think? I think, personally, I'm going to try to maybe watch some stuff out of my genre comfort zone and hopefully find some things that I actually like and enjoy because um, I know they're out there. And then I think this year is the year that I'm going to try to find and commit to a long-running series that is not a pretty cure. Um, Would that happen to be Dragon Ball? I don't know. It could be. Um, I'm not committing to anything yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do my research. It probably... Knowing me will be some sports thing, but like, I'm gonna try to, mm. you know, do something out of my comfort zone, like I mentioned, so we shall see what happens. I mean, Dragon Ball, there, are, there there's a ball there. Is yeah, that it's, a a good, it's, a good, it's a good medium. Like, it'll get you. I don't you think know, they play basketball in Dragon Ball. I'm just saying. No, they I mean, do they martial might. arts. You, you haven't seen it. <laughs> it has a tournament okay. arc. <sighs> what does it? I don't think Attack on Titan has a tournament arc, but then again, no, I it doesn't. They have a they have a so, training arc, okay. Th that is true. Okay, training arc, sure, but okay. that, that's spoiler true. alert: that's Attack true. on Titan does not have a tournament arc. Dang it, Ryan! <laughs> now, why am I even watching it at this point? Because it doesn't have a tournament arc. Ah, oh, well, you've sold me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for me, 
uh, my anime aspirations for 2024 are maybe to return to a few things that I've sort of let languish in the background. Like, there's a lot of anime and manga that I like, but I haven't, that I've seen or read large portions of, but haven't really gone back to in a long time. A prime example of this is a series that I really love, uh, Laidback Camp. But I am like three seasons and a movie behind on that. I own six volumes of the manga and haven't read any of them. But I love that series, and there's really no reason why I should keep putting it off. So maybe I'll just, maybe I'll finally go back to it. Uh, another example would be Mob Psycho 100. Like, I watched those first two seasons, loved them. It's one of my favorite anime of all time. But that third season's just hanging out there. I haven't gotten to it even a little bit. So. Maybe playing pickup will be uh, will be part of my aspirations for this year. Likewise, I think this will be my last thing, and I'm pretty sure I said this last year, but I say it every year because the problem never gets any better. I want to watch all of the anime that I own on physical disc so that I can maybe part ways with some of it and make room for some more. Oh, you know that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, but these are aspirations, not resolutions. Gotcha. Yeah, so for me, I've been... I've been watching the one episode so far that's available of of uh, Delicious in Dungeon, and Tasty. I never thought that a slime rice roll would make me hungry. <laughs> mm. Like I know that anime always makes food look delicious, but I thought that this would be like the one exception of like, oh, it's gonna be funny and not make me want to buy a cookbook inspired by it. But here we are so far, and it's it's really good so far. The it's really creative. I like it a lot. Granted, I'm only an episode in, so can't really say that much about it. But um aside from that, I didn't really watch much last year, so I'm looking to watch uh Free Ren and Zom one hundred, as well as mm-hmm. catch up. I'm so behind on Vinland saga. I want to catch up mm-hmm. on that as well as Demon Slayer and watch the second season of Ancient Magus Bride, which I watched the first season of that like three years ago at this point. So I honestly should go back and rewatch the first season because I don't remember anything that happened. I just remember liking it. Well, you know, there's a big guy with a weird head and a redheaded lady girl who's there too. And that That's all you need. That's pretty <laughs> accurate, yeah. Yep, yep. No, I mean, honestly, Ancient Magus Bride is also, would also qualify to be on my list because, Tori, you and I watched maybe five or six episodes of that show, and I was pretty into it, but, you know, again, just kind of let it languish, and now here it is yeah. uh, 15 years later. Oh, it surely feels like it. Ancient Magus Bride was really well animated, and I don't remember any of the story beats other than magic shenanigans, mm-hmm. and... It was good. I wouldn't be talking about it if I didn't like it. But there, there's so much media in the world. I don't remember everything I've watched. I just have a general recollection of, oh, yeah, I remember liking that. Or, no, I didn't like that. Yeah, yeah and I think there's now like a spinoff manga. We have it at the library. It's, it's, I think it follows different characters in the same world. But mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that series has been... You know, pretty consistently around since it came out. I know there was a big gap in between the anime seasons, but there's plenty of content in that franchise, I think, for you to chew on. Is the spinoff called The Young Magus Bride? I don't think so. I think it's the more ancient Magus Bride. The ancienter Magus Bride. Ancienter. (laughs) Or maybe the ancient Magus husband. (laughs) 
groom or maybe ancient magus groom ancient magus non-gendered specific uh person friend i don't know <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll uh put uh, in the show notes once austin goes and looks at the library that's right that's right well i hope we all are able to at least make a small dent in the things that we want to do for this for this year no no promises just like always but you know hopefully we are able to get around to at least one of these things uh but we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about attack on titan So we did want to say that we do have a convention coming up in March. We are going to be at Retcon, which is really more like a sci-fi fantasy cryptids literature weirdo sci-fi convention thing. But for some reason, they did allow us to be there as guests and to do panels about Japanese cartoons. So we're very grateful for that, uh, even though it's a little bit different than the normal convention circuit that we go on. But we will be there in Cary, North Carolina, which is pretty close to Raleigh, from March 1st till the 3rd of 2024. And we hope that you come out to see some of our panels. We don't know exactly what's going to be on the schedule this year, but we'll be doing something, and that something will be cool. So please come see us at Retcon. Probably by the time you listen to this, we'll have submitted panels, and they'll be roughly on the way of telling us what we can run. That's right but we can't tell you the future. Well, I can, but I have rules about not doing that. You have to keep it concealed. (laughs) Yeah, no spoilers. Speaking of no spoilers, Attack on Titan. Attack on Titan began as a manga series written by Hajime Isayama that ran in Bisatsu Shonen Magazine from 2009 until 2021 for a total of 34 volumes. It's based on a one-shot that Isayama pitched to Shonen Jump in 2006 that they ended up rejecting before he pitched it to Kodansha, where it was picked up and made into what we know as Attack on Titan. Man, I bet they you regret that. Jump is, sh- yep, shaking their heads. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Well, you know, Shonen Jump, they can afford to take an L every now and again because they take so many consistent Ws. I guess they can't win them all. Yeah. Fair enough. The si- The series was first adapted into anime in 2013, a whole 11 years ago. Woof. 
adapted by Studio Wit, with an initial 26-episode first season, with subsequent seasons released over the course of the next six years, until the most recent entries were animated by Studio MAPPA. And MAPPA did the, I want to say, the last two seasons, the last of which finally ended last year in 2023. Would you say that uh, their work on Attack on Titan really put them on the MAPPA? Well, see, that would be hilarious if they were uh, a little unknown studio before they worked on Attack on Titan, but they were yeah. very well known before that, Ryan. You should know this. <laughs> so you'd so no is your answer? You would say no, this didn't put them on the mappa? Well, I think for the sake of the pun, yes. Okay. <laughs> so the first studio, which is the production studio behind this first core that we're going to be talking about for at least this episode and for most of the parts upcoming is uh, Studio Wit. They were founded in 2012 as a subsidiary of Production IG, a very long-running and prolific anime studio. Attack on Titan was actually their first production. They're still extremely prolific to this day with projects like Spy Family, along with Studio Cloverworks, The Ancient Magus Bride, which we mentioned at the beginning, and other Tetsuro Araki-directed original anime, Kabaneri of the Iron Fortress. Tetsuro Araki, of course, is the director of the series and a founding staff member of Studio Wit. He was a longtime storyboard artist before directing Death Note in 2007 with Madhouse. He later directed High School of the Dead in 2010, where he collaborated with director of photography Kazuhiro Yamada and 3D director Shuhei Yabuta, both of which he'd bring onto the team again for Attack on Titan. Uh, in 2011, he directed the original anime series Guilty Crown, where he worked with music composer Hiroyuki Sawano, who composed the score for Attack on Titan and pretty much all of Araki's series since then. So I imagine we were all familiar, if not by name, at least familiar with some of Araki's anime prior to Attack on Titan. Yeah, I, I didn't really know what he had done prior to you mentioning a couple, but yes, I love Death Note. I actually rewatched that Um at some point last year and, and he did a really good job on it yeah i think one thing that people really connect the through line from death note to attack on titan is just those really exaggerated like sweeping jittery scenes to show off the intensity of light doing evil things uh that really sort of comes through in the frenetic action of titan i remember when this show first came out, I was still at NC State at the time. We hadn't even met yet. It was the uh, it was the before four times, and mm. um, we always would watch one new show per week, and then the two shows we were currently watching, and then a dealer's choice of whatever we felt like at that week. And one week happened to be Attack on Titan, and the opening pops with just the the titan looming over and we're like ooh and then the intro pops off and everybody's like all right i'm really here for this cuz that intro was sick and then once we watched that i went back and watched everything that was currently available so yeah he he did a fantastic job with just reeling people in granted part of that was you know the writing of it but he made it look good well, you kind of mentioned it already, but my next question was going to be basically to to both of you and myself, like what what our first memories of encountering Attack on Titan were. So you kind of um, outlined your story there, but did you have anything to add? Um, 
I remember uh, we had gone out for Chinese food after watching the first episode. And I was like, man, that looks like it'll be a pretty good show. They're like, yeah, by the way, Aaron dies in episode seven. And I was like, thanks for the spoiler, but I think you're lying to me. And then I get to episode seven and he gets eated. (laughs) And then and then uh, I was like, well, uh, okay then. What kind of clown folk were you spending your time with that would just so blatantly shout out a spoiler? Oh, wait, I remember. This is 2013. People just did that back then. Yeah, pretty much. What an (laughs) annoying time to be alive. For me, I don't really remember. So this would have been like when I was keeping up, when I was insane-er and like would keep up with almost every single thing that looked relatively interesting seasonally. So I would be watching like multiple, multiple, multiple shows at one time. And now like trying to get me to watch one thing is like pulling teeth. But um, did that include Guilty Crown and High School of the Dead at the time? (laughs) I never watched High School of the Dead. And um, I watched Guilty Crown and not liking it a whole bunch. Um, I do remember that. Like what else was I watching around that time? I don't know, but I remember basically it's kind of like what Ryan said. Like I remember the first episode happened and I was like immediately hooked. And um, this was around the time or two when I was very active online in like fan spaces. And so like everybody was like, yeah, this is the show of the season. So everybody was talking about it and we were keeping up with it every week. So there was like a really big engagement and it was like this community thing and um, just like being so in the midst of that and even for like a little bit of like the later seasons before I dropped off um, was I mean it was still really strong like the show even now still has like well not as much as it was but people still pretty into it Um, but yeah it was it was kind of just that like I picked it up as a flavor of the week thing and then really liked it because it immediately hooked me like right away thinking thinking back on attack on titan it it feels like it's sort of the the beginning of the modern era of anime fandom in some ways and sort of also has reflections of like the previous era i don't really remember if this was being simulcast on crunchyroll at the same time that it was coming out in japan it might have been but at that time i wasn't really paying attention i was still using mostly like piracy sites to watch all of my shows yeah which was you know still pretty pretty normal for the average anime fan back in like 2013 or so yeah there wasn't um, there was not nearly what we have today back then no yeah. not even close and we we can you can kind of credit the popularity of attack on titan for sort of raising all ships uh so to speak whenever it comes to anime because people were watching this show that had never watched anime before in their life or had only seen pokemon or something because uh the the common reprieve that i even used myself to pitch it to some people is like it's like the walking dead but better uh, which is which is which is really quite funny because in reading interviews with Isayama, he he's not particularly a huge fan of like horror stuff so much. It's like the idea for the Titans is like more so he wanted something like 
kind of ugly and unsettling, but not, like, horrific necessarily. Like, he, he doesn't really talk about having too much affection for, like, zombie stuff. He more so talks about, like, giant monster, like, kaiju stuff. It's like, that's more what he's coming at it from. And stuff like Evangelion and sort of the, the horror in, like, the monstrosity of it all, but not in the, like... Definitely the zombie sense yeah it never it never struck me as like a zombie show other than the fact that they were of course literally eating people but sure. like no it's more of a it's more of the show where you feel the emotion instead of being scared of the titans it's like you feel what the people are going through which mm-hmm. is just dread and terror mostly it's not like it's not like the same types of emotions like you would feel in like a horror scenario. It's different. Sure, and it and it and it keeps going back to that more action oriented perspective because, you know, even the event even though the event like the Titans themselves are horrifying and the events happening to the characters are horrifying, but it is very much an action series, not a horror one. Maybe one that shares horror DNA, but mm-hmm. but anyway, like I I definitely remember people pitching it that way at the time because the walking dead was such a huge cultural phenomenon back then and i think that's that maybe that through line pushed a lot of people to want to check it out um because i remember showing it to people who were not anime fans and they watched it and they were pretty into it but then it also seemed like pretty much every anime fan like stopped what they were doing and checked out attack on titan it um definitely had the sword art online effect where like you could easily get people like kind of just to piggyback off that like easily get people who had no concept of anime to like sit down and watch mm-hmm. this because it was just so absurd and like yeah know, I don't know definitely and pretty accessible like yeah. I I think even it's it's a show because of the way because of like the the fantasy world is so European inspired and all of the names and characters are more I guess palatable to a Western audience that isn't necessarily familiar with anime isms or like the Japan the Japanese-ness of anime, it's like you can show this to them and it'll feel like a Western cartoon. Like, there's nothing super yeah. anime about the whole thing on it from a super from a superficial perspective. So I think that also helped as well. I think, I think nowadays things are a lot different. Audiences, generally speaking, are more in tune with international media, but that wasn't necessarily the case 11 years ago. I'm trying to remember back then because it really was a long time ago, but um, I think that was a lot of the era as well where a lot of anime fans were watching so many shows per week. So Attack on Titan was definitely the one that got talked about the most, but I remember like I remember it being compared to like things at the time. I don't remember what those were because they weren't nearly as memorable, but people... People were consuming a lot, and the fact that this was one of the ones that actually stood out, it, like, has a lot going for it. And I guess for me, if I had to think about how I discovered it, it was probably just through through word of mouth or from Tumblr posts or from, you know, people I knew at community college talking about it. And I remember checking it out through... um, uh, piracy streaming sites first and then i downloaded some uh high quality torrents of it later and i got one of the fan subgroups who 
insisted on calling the Titans the Aotenas. Do y'all remember that? Aotenas? No, I don't. It's like some other adjacent word to Titan or monster or something like that. And this particular fan subgroup, again, I don't know the name and I'm not going to look it up because I don't care that much. But (laughs) it's like they, they were specific about being like, we are using this word, not Titan. And I had a couple of episodes that I downloaded where all the subtitles said Aotenas. And I'm just like, I don't know what this is, but I think it probably means Titan. And then it just took over as uh, Attack on Titan later on. Which You know, for uh, like a 2010 subgroup, that sounds correct. It sounds (laughs) very much like something that people would get their pants in and not over. No, subgroups back then, I remember, had such a culture of like... We are we are more in tuned with Japanese culture than you plebeians. So our translation is better than those of Funimation. Like right. it was such a weird mentality. And nowadays most fan subgroups are just rips from the official streams. Well, yeah. I I I was instantly taken with it. I think the show does a really great job of pacing its cliffhangers, which makes for uh great great television like pretty much every episode ends on some sort of little hint of what's to come and it's a great way to sort of get you invested which yeah i think played a lot in the show's favor for the first season that it came out with those initial 26 episodes but really did the show no favors whenever there was such a long gap between season one and season two heck even season two and season three i think was longer right and we'll certainly talk about that a little bit more later, but um, I was instantly taken with the aesthetic design. I thought the artistry was was really strong. I don't think I had seen anime look so modern until then. Uh, like it had this um, peak for the time, peak digital animation look to it with a lot of detail and animation that... I don't think could have been done in maybe a previous era or maybe not quite in the same way. So it really felt like an animation showcase for the medium at the time. Like it just, it looked better than a lot of things that were coming out then. Yeah. That's, that's a common theme you hear with a lot of shows that do well. And I think it ultimately just comes down to like the more effort you put into something, the better it's going to do. Like, if you make something memorable for looking good, like the plot will follow pretty much like people will just become invested in the plot because they like looking at it with there are definitely exceptions to that. It's not a hard rule, mm-hmm. but I, I've noticed that a lot, like with stuff we talk about or things that are popular. It's like, oh, it looked really good for the time. And I'm like, OK, but maybe that's not it looking good for the time maybe that's that's it setting a new standard for the time yeah i think things that are visually striking just again they strike you visually you know there's really no other way to say it (laughs) right
let's get a little bit more into what Attack on Titan is specifically about. So, Tori, can you give us the general ser uh, series overview for at least this first season, like where we are starting off? Yes. Um, so set in a post-apocalyptic world where the remains of humanity live behind walls protecting them from giant humanoid titans, Attack on Titan follows protagonist Aaron Yeager along with friends Mikasa Ackerman and Armin Ar Arlet. I think it's how you Arlert. pronounce that. Arlert. I it's think the R rolls dramatic. and it's kind of silent. Yeah. It's like Arfart. Arlert. Um, like, yeah, something like that. Armin okay. Ardvark. <laughs> Armin Ardvark. Um, okay. When a colossal titan breaches the wall of their hometown, titans destroy the city and eat Aaron's mother. Vowing vengeance, Aaron joins the elite survey corps, a group of soldiers who fight against titans. It chronicles Aaron's journey with the survey corps as they fight against the titans while investigating their origin and history. I refuse to accept that Aaron is the protagonist. It's actually Mikasa. That's that's my theory. That's what a lot of people think. Much like Final Fantasy X, Yuna is the main character. Mikasa is the main character. Hell yeah. Uh, that is all. Goodbye. I will agree with that for now. For now. I think the show forces us to uh, accept Aaron as the main character, but he's less interesting to me. So I think it, I think now reality. Yeah, I think now is a good time to bring up also that the way we're structuring these reviews is we are reviewing specifically these arcs without future knowledge because Thank Austin you. and Tori don't have future knowledge, but I do. <laughs> so mean, I'm trying not to I have out of let... context future knowledge because so much has been yeah. spoiled for me. Sure, but I'm trying not to let what I know about the later parts of the show get in the way of discussing this as its own thing. I respect sure. that. Um, you're you're free to dance around the 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 fire of future knowledge, but do not uh, set yourself ablaze with the fire of future knowledge. Is my metaphor working? Is this thing on? It, it passes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. As long as you understand what I'm trying to say. But anyway. Oh, I understood yes, what you were trying to say. I'm not sure if they're going to understand what you're saying. <laughs> I don't care if they do or not. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's let's talk a little bit about our voice cast here. So we've talked about, we, we name dropped our three main leads who are the, who are just three of an innumerably large cast of characters, many of which we could spend the next 45 minutes naming all of their voice actors for. But I think and we're I going tried. to save some of them for when they're a little bit more relevant to the story that we're talking about at hand. So we'll just talk about the main three here. Uh, Tori, do you want to talk about our voices for the main three in both English and Japanese? We have Aaron in English. He is voiced by Bryce Pappenbrook who is Kirito in Sword Art Online, and Nosuke in Demon Slayer, and Shiro Emiya in Fate Stay Night um, Unlimited Blade Works. In Japanese, Aaron's voiced by Yuki Kaji, um, who was Kenma in Haikyuu, um, Koichi in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, and Todoroki in My Hero Academia. Gotta say, with Bryce Pappenbrook, I was a little bit skeptical whenever they first announced this dubcast because, well, let me let me do an aside real quick. So I remember very, very vividly that Funimation made a whole campaign at the time doing the rollout for the voice for the dub voice cast of this show, which came out. You know, th this was not the time of simul dubs. Like that wasn't much of a thing yet. It had been dabbled in, but it really wasn't what it is today. Not even close. So no. Funimation was still very much in the 
perspective of, okay, we're going to announce that we licensed a show, and then six months will pass, we'll announce the dub cast, we'll put out a trailer, and then, like, a couple months after that, they'll actually release, like, the first 13 episodes of something on a disc as part one, and then do part two, like, sometime the next year. But, rightfully so, this show had a pretty hyped up cycle for announcing all of the voice cast for it because i remember distinctly they put out like a new trailer like every couple weeks being like oh uh the voice of uh john is mike mcfarland or uh and here's a quick clip sort of showing that oh the voice of uh annie is lauren landa and here's a clip of her talking and oh here's a and then they would go they would keep going until it got down to the main characters uh and they did those reveals and i just remember them making a huge deal out of it and i remember it mostly because i would show a lot of those in my anime club at the time because i was the resident dub lover and kind of still am so i made sure to show those off because i thought it was interesting you know most of the people in the room had already seen the show in japanese so i was like here check out a little quick preview of how it's going to sound in english I do remember um, it was like a really big deal when the dub was coming out because of how popular it was. And I do remember the uh, first trailer I saw for it where Bryce Pappenbrook basically introduced the trailer and, you know, hyped up how excited he was to be playing the lead character, Aaron Yeager. And then they showed the trailer. And of course, there was a lot of screaming in it because, of course, you know, yeah, of, course of course there was. And to your point, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I am the resident dub lover. Uh, Mm. I watch everything in dub whenever possible because I just like it. Um, We'll fight behind Walmaria later. Okay, sounds good. But um, I remember enjoying the dub, but the sub for me for this specifically was so well done because you can just hear the rawness in the tone that it's basically unparalleled to me compared to the dub. Like, you didn't have nearly as much visceral anger in their voices, which is what I loved about the sub so much. So on that note, Tori, you want to continue the cast? Um. Oh, I was just going to say, this is actually the first time I watched the show dubbed. Like, I've seen the first season collectively probably like four times just amongst showing it to other people. And, like, until just the other week, I, like, never sat down and watched it in English. Um, and I will say, I love Bryce Pappenbrook as Inosuke. Not so much as Aaron. <laughs> uh, agreed. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, moving on, um, we have Mikasa, who in English is voiced by Trina Nishimura, who was... Um, Makise Kurisu in Steinskate, and Mari in the Funimation dub of the uh, Rebuild of Evangelion movies. And she was Earphone Jack in My Hero Academia. Um, in Japanese, she is voiced by Yui Ishikawa, who was Violet in Violet Evergarden and 2B in Near Automata. Armin, in English, is voiced by Jesse James Grell, who was Sukuyomi in My Hero Academia, Yuri Katsugi in Yuri on Ice, and... Inoza in Psychopaths. In Japanese, Armin is voiced by Marina Inoue, 
who is Momo in My Hero Academia, Yoko and Gurren Lagan, and the femme protag in Persona 3. You know, Ooh. I never would have guessed that, that Yoko, Littner, and Armin are the same voice. <laughs> Especially the way, like, Armin yells. I don't know, there's just something about Armin's, like, like in English and Japanese, the way Armin yells is just so entertaining to me. Yeah, Armin's, Armin's yelling is... Uh... <laughs> Like, I, I, I find it hilarious deep, that but... we're judging. I, I love that we're judging based on their yells, but with this show, it really matters. Oh my god! It does. I mean, there's a lot of screaming. Yeah, there's so yeah. much screaming in this show. So we talked sort of uh, already about sort of the climate of where we were when we first in, uh, encountered Attack on Titan. But what did we think of it when we first saw it? And how does that stack up to how we feel about it now? Uh, I guess for me, I mean... I was pretty smitten with it instantly. I watched it this first season a number of times. I was really into it. Uh, I even cosplayed Commander Irvin, which was really fun. That's actually how Tori and I met, which is really cute. I don't think I knew you... you back then, but I can totally see it. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> maybe I'll put it. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. But anyway, um, that was I was how super we into met. it. Yeah. It was. You were cosplaying Krista. I can also see that. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, back when I I actually did cosplay, I remember I had to reorder my jacket like three times because it kept coming in too small. I had to keep adding an extra X because I didn't didn't order a lot of cosplay at the time, and I have pretty broad shoulders. So (laughs) I ended up having to wear like a Japanese quadruple XL or something like that to get it to even remotely attempt to fit me. (laughs) But, But anyway... Putting on those belts was a nightmare. I would not recommend anyone oh, cosplay Attack on Titan. <sighs> the boots and the belts. And... I, I had a survey core jacket, but, or uh, not jacket, poncho. Uh, but that's oh, yeah. pretty much the extent of what I cosplayed. It was a very casual cosplay because it was just, I like ponchos. They're very comfy. Um, and yeah. Those ponchos were, were the thing to wear at cons for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I would have um, people coming up to me and doing the salute, and I'm just like, you do realize if you do this on the street, people are going to think we're like either in a radical political group or a cult. <laughs> uh, both accurate and both yeah. described as being an anime fan. Yep. Yeah, right. I was like so deep into it. Um, I was like active in the fandom on Tumblr, like online in general. I found a jacket that kind of looked like a Survey Corps jacket and I put a patch on the back of it and I wore it regularly because it looked like Annie's hoodie under her jacket because it had like a built-in hood and it was that same brown. I put a patch on it, wore it all the time. I was deep. There was no pulling me from this. Completely absorbed and smitten um like you said with it and then when i watched it again this time i was like damn this is kind of boring but like i'm still really intrigued like god they talk so much and how did me 11 years ago deal with this because like me now i'm like they're talking way too much and they're drawing this out way too much and there's so much internal monologuing and i'm like not that I'm not enjoying it, but I definitely have a lot of like different feelings about it now. I definitely had a similar thing. Like, I think a lot of it comes with the first time. Like, Attack on Titan, one of the big appeals is the mystery behind it. Like, yes. what is in the basement? We really wanted to know what was in the basement. Oh, my God. And <laughs> now, 
you know you know those those beats leading up to it so it's less thrilling this time because you already know what's happening and that's a problem with a lot of recurring television in general it's like unless the journey is substantially amazing it's really hard to recapture the magic of watching it the first time i like to think that when i start getting into the parts that i don't know that maybe that feeling will come back yeah. I'm with you there. I that's, kind of expect that, but we'll see. Yeah, That's definitely valid. But there is a lot to be said for a first-time viewing of something. Right. Definitely. Right. I, I think all of us, maybe maybe not Ryan so much, but Tori and I both, uh, are, there, was, there was definitely a period of time that lasted, at least for me, until... Uh, doing this podcast where I was basically like a lapsed Attack on Titan fan where I (laughs) liked it for a really long time and then you know probably after season two uh, which again took so long to come out that a lot of my interest and my fervor had even waned then and if you go back to the very beginning of this podcast one of our first episodes was a watch along of episode one of season two and we've been doing this podcast since 2017 and that was pretty much the last time i was super interested in attack on titan i think after season two um i just wasn't as interested as i was whenever i first finished season one and then i i just had heard some whispers about a lot of the controversies surrounding the story and i was just kind of disconnected from the whole thing wasn't super invested in coming back into it and just sort of let it languish but now that it's finally over uh, again it's it's going to be nice to finally go back to it finish it up and see how i feel about it um you know once it's all said and done yeah like i'm glad it's done because it it for sure overstayed its welcome it did not need to take 10 years to tell this story but I am very glad that I stuck through it and watched it to the end because it was a satisfying end and without going too far into it, I do we'll get there enjoy, when we get there. But I do enjoy the story as a whole. Like I was I was the same way. I read up until the beginning of season four and then life happened and I just stopped reading. Um and I just waited for the anime to come out and then I didn't want to read because I was like the anime's been really good. And I don't want to ruin the ending for myself. And yeah, it, I definitely had a, I definitely had a peak with this show that very much was down in a valley by the time it finished. So let's talk about this first season, huh? So it sort of opens on this very uh, medieval-looking pastoral town located, you know, behind these gigantic walls. And we've got our three main characters here, and they're sort of, you know, their precious little life, I guess, to steal a Scott Pilgrim reference. 
and then all of that is shattered in an instant whenever a, a big old a big old titan shows up and kicks a hole in one of the outer walls which they had I think according to the lore they had not had a titan attack in over a hundred years like they knew the titans were still out there they were still sending uh, the military forces outside of the walls to see if they could make any headway on defeating the titans but hadn't really made a whole lot of progress and they were just sort of at a stalemate but humanity was all behind these big walls and then suddenly everything just goes to crap Aaron's uh, father is displaced you don't see him again for a really long time you don't know what's up with that guy his mother is tragically eaten uh, along with you know most of their neighbors and then they basically have to uh exit flee to the inner wall as refugees and then their life just kind of is is uh, pretty bad for a long time until there's a pretty significant time skip where all three of our main protagonists uh decide to enlist in the military because what else are you gonna do in this uh highly impoverished uh, world where there's uh, uh, a ruling class and a peasantry, but you know the ruling class is pretty incompetent, only looking out for themselves, only secure, only concerned with their own safety, and uh, really, what else are these poor refugee kids with nothing supposed to do? But I guess join the military. Yeah, well, this show, this show loved its um its time skips, especially in the beginning, because they kind of they kind of um skirt past this and like a little explainer at the beginning of episode two but the the time between episodes one and two is a full year like they don't oh, yeah they don't explain yeah. that well but they they mention over the course of the past year we lost about 20 percent of the population and they had like an operation to try to retake retake uh walmaria and it like you don't realize you don't realize that on a first watching because it's kind of said very subtly and you're most more so still reeling from the oh my god what just happened, um, mm -hmm. but yeah that there was a full year between those two episodes and then there's another three years between episodes two and three and then it's another two years of training so there's a lot of time that passes in like the first very short amount of episodes. And that comes to a screeching halt because then we spend like the next nine episodes uh, on an event that takes place over <laughs> on a couple one hours. day. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I forgot just how long the Battle of Trost was. It's like basically half the season. Yes. Yeah, it's more. It's nine parts, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I I, I will say I think. All things considered, I think I liked the 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 rapid pace of the first five episodes. I think that's maybe the strongest part because it, it gets you in with that meaningful hook and then, you know, shows you really clearly how these kids' life is like forever altered by these events. Um, but I understand, you know, this is an action series. They want to get to the part where the kids can do some fighting and get to the part where they can introduce the the big cast of characters most of which are you know fellow uh military recruits are around um the three main characters and you know their commanding officers and and other supporting characters that you meet pretty early and then gradually learn more and more about as the series unfolds because it does pretty much follow the same characters from stem to stern at least that's what i have gathered yeah 
it did kind of tease you that there might be a, a larger cast at the very beginning of the Battle of Trost when um, Eren has his little squad. They're all hyped up and excited to go fight the Titans, and then every single one of them gets killed. Sure, I mean, you gotta have... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you gotta have cannon fodder. Yeah, you do. you do. But that was like... That episode, the first time I watched it, I remember was just like, oh, that's gonna be this kind of show. Okay. Because mm. they just mm. all died in like pretty brutal ways no one is safe um because they'll be standing there talking and like delivering some really heartfelt like yeah guys we got this we're gonna do it we're gonna you know reclaim everything and then like two scenes later they're getting smashed into the roof of a house by a titan so well it was just like it it was like um yeah it was just Aaron was like gliding through the city and you can tell he's like excited and he's like pumped up and then a Titan flies at them and eats yeah. one of his friends. Gosh, I know. Yeah, it's harrowing. And I, yeah. I think it's I think to me, maybe it's that sort of feeling, that sort of tone, that sort of vibe that really does lend itself well to the Walking Dead comparison, because that show is also like that. Like a lot of zombie fiction is like that about. You know, the author wanting the audience to see that no one is safe and that anybody could get off in any minute, which uh, is very much true in the early parts of Titan. I think maybe they cool it later on where they realize uh-huh, that uh-huh. they're that they're uh, the amount of characters that people really love. Uh, it's like they've gotten more attached to them, so they can't quite kill them off as easily. Especially not as much as they do in the beginning, but but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I can't really. Yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna talk about I, the yeah. future no, no at com- all. <laughs> no comment necessary. We're yeah. just talking about this first part. So yes, uh, you mentioned the Battle of Trost, and that the basically the conceit of that is that um, once our main characters are sort of out of military school, they're they're given an option to pick like sort of what branch of the military they want to go into and they have to do like certain things in order to qualify for them. Like, I think you have to be like a super duper elite to go into the military police and they basically get to, you know, frick off to the Capitol and be like the King's personal guard or whatever. So it's pretty, it's a pretty cushy job. And some of them want to go in that direction and other ones would rather, you know, be out in the field. Uh, Aaron of course is insane. So he wants to be in the scouting regiment, which is in charge of going out beyond the walls and that's kind of the POV of like the military that we see most often in the show. But I think one one thing that stood out to me watching it this time versus whenever I watched it the first time is trying to trying to keep an eye out for how the military and the Titans and the war between them really impacts the everyday civilians of this world and a lot of that just kind of washed off me whenever I watched it for the first time because the show doesn't really focus that direction too often because our main characters are in the military but there are some pretty poignant moments where we get to see how this society is structured to you know basically treat the everyday person as like very very disposable like there's the whole scene whenever the Battle of Trust has first begun and the inner wall is breached yet again and the Titans are pouring in. Uh, there's the merchant who's trying to get his cart through the gate 
and he's his cart is like full of all of his merchandise and he's like i gotta get it to the other side i gotta save my business whereas there's like a huge mound of people who can't get through because he's trying to get his cart through and i'm just like okay this really does show like the very clear uh priorities of of this world it's like it's not set up to really help the average person here it's like the and uh, Mikasa sort of puts that on blast a bit where she sort of gives the merchant, you know, she kind of hands him his, his butt for, for lack of a better word. And I'm just like, that's a really poignant scene. And I kind of want there to be more of that, but I just don't expect the show to go in that direction because I know it will get very focused on our, our main cast. But I really loved looking at scenes like that this time around because it gave me like a fuller picture of what this world looks like more broadly outside of the the eyeballs of just the, the the soldiers and the the titans and the spectacle of battle yeah the spectacle is definitely where this show shines it's where it's really well animated i think uh in terms of the pacing trust itself is technically nine parts but it does feel like they actually split it in half at a fairly good point because once we see Eren titan that's where the initial fighting ends and then we have a bit of a reprieve from fighting to instead they're just trying to blow him up with a cannon um and then we have the part where he's carrying the boulder and they're having to defend Eren to retake trost but those two parts do feel fairly separate but it is still just a lot of trost not any one particular scene but i noticed more this time around more like foreshadowing things or like um it's like there was one scene that stuck stuck out to me i think kind of when they were in the beginning of their training where like aaron is eating a piece of bread and he like he bites into the bread while he's recalling how his mom was like eaten by a titan and i was like okay (laughs) that's kind of cool um but there's also like a lot of metaphor thank you that's what i was trying to get at Visual metaphor. But for instance, um, like the foreshadowing, I don't want to get into like too much of it, but I know one that stuck out to me as well was when they're also in the training and you know how he like falls over and like hits his head really hard? Yeah. Um, Yeah, my favorite part. Yeah. um, So when they're eating, I think in that same kind of scene, you see steam coming out of his head. Um, And I, I don't think I caught that until like this last watch and some people are probably like oh that was so obvious i caught that like the very first time but without without going into detail the the show it really did do a good job of foreshadowing from the very beginning like even stuff that happens in season four that you have no context for there Uh are there are nods to it at the very start i think another thing though that got me was um i think it was happening when Aaron was in Titan form and lifting the boulder and he was just going on his monologue of like, you got to keep going no matter what. And I'm just like, that's right. That's so right. <laughs> um, no matter how cruel he's like, no matter how cruel the world is or how unfair the world is, you just got to keep fighting or something. And I was like, this is why I love Shonen shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is very much pulling on that same, you know, tried true tradition of, you know, 
you know, heroic fighting spirit and hardworking guts and that sort of thing. But I think in this show, like, I mean, you could say that's about other things as well, but I think it's characterized as being so, um, you know, pretty a pretty radical way of approaching the world in this, because it's it's so easy to see how doomed everyone is because they are like these these odds are insurmountable you know it's like if the if the walls come down there's like for the most part literally nothing anyone can do like the military can only do so much but they're more like a more like a patchwork thing and like a lot of the characters in this show are just regular people you know not everybody has super titan powers i mean uh, we'll find out later that more people do, but it really is uh, a lot about the the triumph of the human spirit and um, and all of that. But um, but it also doesn't shy away from being super real about how how dour and dire things really can get and often are, especially when it comes to war. Because man, do these characters go through some. Some serious trauma, and you, you yeah. see that pretty much on display uh, pretty clearly in a lot of different ways. Like, I think of when you're talking about that, I'm like, oh, man, poor Marco. Um, and, like, how yeah. he was trying his best to, like, be there for his squad and, like, you know, save John when all that was going down. And, like, everything was like, you thought it was going to be a happy ending, and then it cuts to, like him just dead in an alleyway and i'm like no that's not okay um still all these years traumatized by that but i think it just goes to kind of show the the cruelty and the just the cruelty of the world they're in where you think something's gonna end happy and then at any moment that can kind of be taken away I'm glad you mentioned John because I think in this rewatch he is the character I have most warmed up to because mm-hmm. I think initially he just kind of got on my nerves whenever I watched the show for the first time I thought he was you know too too um abrasive too he would clash too often with Aaron but I'm just like this time watching around I'm just like well Aaron really is kind of insufferable sometimes <laughs> like he's he's Aaron's got this chip on his shoulder about <laughs> Yeah, he's got this chip on his shoulder where he feels like he's got he's got this savior complex where he feels like he should be the one that saves saves the whole world and everything and you know, even before we find out he has titan powers, it's just like it's very his motivations are very personal almost to the exclusion of the group. Like I think of much more like if he really wanted to accomplish his goal of eradicating the Titans, maybe he wouldn't be so individualistic about the whole thing when realize that he needs to, you know, work together with others about it. And you you see this in his um in his uh speech or his uh, conversation with Mikasa whenever they're uh sort of conniving about how to escape from the military police. He's just like, "Don't go with me. I have to do this by myself." And there's one way that you could read that as like, oh, he's just wanting to make sure that, you know, she's not in danger or whatever. But I think that sort of fundamentally misses the part that no, that no, she wouldn't be because she's clearly very competent at being a good soldier. So I don't think anything he can do can really put her in danger because she's so gifted as a soldier it's like it would be leaning on her skills to take advantage of that and just like Aaron is very constantly very self-focused uh to the detriment of of other characters around him I think I mean I I don't think he's quite a villain necessarily 
especially not here. I mean, he's definitely the uh, shows heroic tendencies and his 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 motivations are are good and and uh, noble. But it's like he he gets in his own way. And Jean, I think, sort of there's some scenes where he really does take charge and sort of rallies a group together to sort of collectively solve a problem rather than him relying solely on like his own abilities to save the day. And I think that's kind of why I have uh, got to come around to respecting him a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That's a good boy. <laughs> I've I, I monologued a bit, so I want you guys to jump in. Is there any, are there other characters you wanted to talk about right now within the context of what we see them do in this season? So just start with one and go. I thought, Armin's arc later on of being like, I'm not a burden to my friends. This is how they see me and they care about me and they trust me. And, you know, they're putting their lives literally in my hands. I feel like that hit a lot differently as an adult. And um, I thought that was very well done. And it was nice to see Armin kind of gain that confidence. I, I love that too. I mean, I you I I think we see Armin's growth pretty clearly just in a short period of time, but I I think that puts him in really great contrast to Aaron, who thinks about things so differently, and yet these two you know kids have grew grew up together. They have a lot of shared life experiences, but it shows how you know different personalities and different motivations applied to the same problems can really create huge differences in the way people approach them i kind of can't really talk about him without going into like a little bit into the future like not super far but armin has one of the better arcs because he starts as well useless and then he he basically finds his niche in an army filled with people who are incredibly strong or brave and he figures out that what he is is incredibly smart and he is brave in his own right, but he doesn't really show it immediately. He's very afraid of his own shadow at first. Mm-hmm. But I think that of all the the main three, he goes through the best character arc with that. Aaron pretty much stays angry. Mikasa stays <laughs> stoic. So Armin has the best growth of anyone. I mean, yeah, you mentioned uh, briefly Mikasa's uh, stoicism, and I'm like, I, I think, I think the show again does a pretty good job showing that like her stoicism is is not like a it's not like a constant. It it's very contextual and depends on who she's talking to. Like she very much has this um, protector kind of instinct when it comes to Aaron and Armin both pretty equally Aaron a little bit more but Armin that she certainly is very attached to him as well and she's she's not the she's not the ice queen I think maybe she is often remembered as being like she can be pretty pretty warm sometimes even if she's standoffish but um she shows emotions more with her actions than her words or face right which is yeah yeah, when she, when she thought Aaron was dead, she went berserk and just started charging headfirst and killing everything in sight without right. really, you know, changing her face. So right, yeah, and even that 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 
I thought that was a good scene as well because it showed like she's she's also not perfect either because she basically like goes on that rampage not realizing like her gas tanks are about to run out and then she right. just like basically face plants into a building which yeah <laughs> which I love that because it shows like even the characters who you think always have it together like they they don't always like they can get their they can let their emotions get the better of them and I think in a lot of ways that's what this show is about because we constantly have characters uh everywhere uh letting their emotions sort of uh get the better of them and that will probably only get worse yeah probably So we basically end this season, like you said, um, you know, sort of the midpoint of the show. It's revealed that Aaron has the ability to turn into a Titan somehow because of some science nonsense related to his dad, which we don't really know the full details of in this season yet. Um, but he basically is able to somewhat harness his Titan energy for for a good cause of, you know, plugging up the the busted hole in the inner wall, uh, preventing the Titans from advancing uh, any further. Um, but at the very end of the season, we find out that he's, you know, he's caught the eye of pretty much all of the uh, military higher ups who are very interested in these powers that he has, and he's been uh, apprehended by um, commanders Irvin and uh, and Levi, and that's yes. sort of where we where we leave off. Yep. So any that hits any the nail on the head. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh any any other reflections about this first 13 episode chunk before we uh kind of call it quits for this review? I think that the first core does a really good job of establishing the world. Basically my short review is that it does a really good job of showing what kind of life they have here and like it gives a good introduction to the characters and what they're about at least the ones who survived yeah and and it gives a decent hints at which parts of the extended cast we will probably see more of later <laughs> because we we get some decent minor characterization for folks like Annie especially in the scene where she and Aaron are doing the hand to hand combat training like that will come up later, but it's still a good moment to show off her character a little bit, and we see a little bit more with uh, Bert Holt and um, the other guy. What's his name? Reiner. Reiner. Um, a little bit of uh, some of the other extended characters. It, I, I, maybe I'm a hater. Maybe I just have no sense of humor. But Sasha completely did not work for me in this rewatch. <laughs> You are a hater. Potato girl is You're a hater. You're a hater, hater, hater. It's like, I think the potato gag is great, but everything else, uh, like, the potato gag is good, okay? Maybe I'm a partial hater, but everything else with Sasha, I was like, "Ah, it just didn't hit for me this time. I'm sorry. Sasha's entire motivation is she is a hungry girl. 
Yes. I get it. And I respect that. Um, yeah, that she scene is basically where... Hungarian. Shut up. <laughs> um, Please laugh. Scene... <laughs> <laughs> the scene where Marco is trying to like give a pep talk to that soldier. And he's like, yeah, look at Sasha. She's like the perfect soldier. Look at her. She's like keeping it cool. And she's like, nope, just put me on the cart with the wounded. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And like starts crying. Um, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a mood. I can't say I wouldn't have done the same. Okay, fair enough. Maybe she'll get back in my good graces later. But uh, it did uh, it did stand out to me a little bit more that Connie is like the one that like reacts to things. It's like he's the reactor character. I think there's a good balance here between the our primary POVs and the the rest of the cast. So it's uh, looking forward to seeing more in the next part of what I have uh, forgotten happened and what I remember happening and seeing if it hits the same. So we will see. I think that this is definitely probably the worst part of the rewatch because Trost is very slow uh, when you're rewatching it. But um, I am looking forward to the to the next parts because they start to branch out into the world a little bit more funny that you struggled with this because i know what i struggled with most last time i think is coming up soon okay or maybe that's season two and i just can't remember right but um something that i know well i was just like oh is coming up soon ish <laughs> an ick on titan all right so in typical third impact fashion i do want to ask you guys what do you think is the most iconic scene of this chunk of episodes <sighs> I'm going to go with it's the potato scene. That's the one for me. It's uh, <laughs> Sasha eating the potato, and that's it. Because everybody knows it's really the colossal titan peeking over the wall, but that's too easy. Not going to say that one. It's the potato scene. For me, um, I think the one where they're being attacked by the other squad, like the, the yelling guy, and... Aaron goes to protect Mikasa and Armin and he turns into that like weird muscly skeleton mm. um, and it like hyper fixes on the eye for like a minute. It's just like really weird and creepy. I think for me, it's that one. Oh, that's a good one. I think for me, it's the um, not the first Colossal Titan peaking scene, but the second one because it's totally very different and honestly the the first time i watched it it made me laugh because it's kind of funny it's kind of it's kind of funny (laughs) yeah that too but it's just kind of funny because and i'm like i'm lumping in the end of that episode with the beginning of the next episode because erin is like monologuing and it has such a hopeful tone of he overcame how difficult training was for him and everybody's doing great. They had such a good class and he feels empowered. And he's like, we can do it. They can't surprise us again. And then they <laughs> surprise them again. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. like, it's even less like, <laughs> it's more just, hello, I'm here than the first time where the first time is like, they hear the lightning crash, they see the hand and he slowly lifts himself over the wall. And you're like, whoa, but this time it's just like lightning pop and he's there and everybody is just like jaw gaped and then they get blasted off. It's very funny. It's very much the Timmy Turner school of what could possibly go wrong. 
Yeah, basically. <laughs> and um and like he um he then tries to 1v1 the colossal titan which as we learn later would not have worked out for him. Um but for reasons he had no idea about yet. Oh, and talk about but, another intriguing scene to set up some mystery. You know, he 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 runs up the guy's arm and like tries to attack him, and then he just vanishes. Pop. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's Again, the thing this that show like, is very good at little things like that. I don't yeah. know. Again, I don't know if they all pay off. But that is one of the central intrigues about this first season is that there's a lot of little little splashes of intrigue of like, okay, how does that work? What is going on? What am I looking at? That sort of thing. No, the the intrigue and mystery is what I really what's really captivated me with this show. And that's what captivates me with everything. I judge shows so much on that on like how good the delivery of a mystery is like how the payoff is and if it's not good i will eviscerate a show when i like talk to people about it Mm. but i'm not gonna talk about that here yet but um yeah they did such a good job with building the mystery of like how did the colossal titan disappear why are some of these titans substantially different from these other titans that we've seen for the past hundred years or, you know, why can Eren turn into a Titan? Stuff like that. Yep, yep. All right, well, I think on that note, uh, we're looking forward to doing the next part probably pretty soon. We want to have that out around March, I think, is our goal. So hopefully, and maybe even sooner, we'll just see how it's going. Um, we will not be producing new episodes of this full series review straight through we're definitely going to have content that is not attack on titan related as episodes in the in-between times but uh look forward for us you know continuing to get through this show over the next uh, year or so however long it takes us to get to the end but thank you guys for joining me on this episode it's been really fun to sort of go back in time in my own anime fandom experience and go back to a show that i was really into uh for a decent chunk of time and see how i feel about it now so it's been fun and i can't wait to do it again uh ryan where can people connect with you on social media if they so choose so i've been taking a major break from social media except through my tiktok account where you can find me at bowie sensei let me double check that real quick because i don't look at my name that much (laughs) r y a okay yeah so you can find me on tiktok at bowie sensei that's b-o-w-i-e-s-e-n-s-e-i and you'll know it's me when you see a picture of a dog tori where can people find you tori you can find on blue sky at worst waifu don't you love it when the audio cuts out I am also on blue sky at ours arcantum if you don't know how to spell that you can find it in the show notes And that's where I spend most of my time, in addition to the Third Impact Anime Discord, which you are invited to join. It's a nice place to be. We have great conversations about stuff on the daily. It's pretty active, so you should totally join. You can find more information about Third Impact Anime by visiting our website, thirdimpactanime.com, where we will have show notes for this episode and a catalog of all of our previous episodes for your listening pleasure. Uh, If you're listening to this on a platform that allows you to review or rate podcasts, we would really appreciate you doing that for us. It would really put a smile on our face. 
If you'd like to support us financially, we do have a Patreon. That is patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime, where we have some very modest rewards or just the ability to basically give us a tip every month. A colossal thanks to both Tori and Ryan for joining me on this episode. I was happy to be here. Always a pleasure. We will see you in the next one. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-